Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Thank you for that special sweet time of prayer. Man, what a blessing it is to be able to pray and to see and watch God's people just intercede and go to the Lord. It just blesses my heart to watch us do that. I'm also just really, really excited that we're in week two of this two-year deal, man, to, to move forward in faith. Man, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for your faithfulness. We just have such, uh, such a body of just faithful, just charitable people, and I'm grateful for you. One of our hopes and really our desire is that through this, you will express your faith. So you will begin to trust God and do what God says, and then through that, you would experience his faithfulness. If you remember last week, we really talked about the faithful money master being the Lord Jesus. Remember, we talked about that he owns it all. In other words, he possesses it all. And then what he does is he offers it all or he provides it to us. And then we oversee it all and we just kind of present it right back to him. This morning, we're going to kind of shift gears and we're going to talk about the faithful money mindset. What are some things really that play into a proper money mindset? You know, what I have learned and what you may know is is that some people do have a certain mindset toward money. For example, I was reading the other day a little story about a a mother who took her son shopping all day with her at the mall. And after all day being at the mall shopping, they walked into a certain store and the the guy behind the cash register offered her two-year-old son a lollipop. And the boy took the lollipop, and sure, like we all do, the mom turned over to the son and says, now what do you say? And the little boy said, charge it. (laughs) Well, I think that's incredible, Uh, but I'm not sure that's the proper money mindset. Uh, I think it's incredible. Uh, You may join me in this, but here in America, we have discovered a way to put a man on the moon, and because of Elon Musk, now even civilians can go up. It's crazy what's happening. We can do that. Uh, Now we've got, man, cell phones that pretty much can do anything. Uh, The the technological advances in this country astound me. Yet at the same time, the average American doesn't know how to manage their money. It's it's, it's just mind-numbing. Some people like the former Georgia golfer, Doug Sanders, he said it this way. He said, I'm working as hard as I can to get my life and my cash to run out at the same time. If I can die right after lunch on Tuesday, everything's going to be okay. (laughs) I'm not sure that's the proper money mindset either. Another improper money mindset is this, and and I want you to know that I, I am very sensitive when I say this. I'm not just trying to make a blanket statement, although I am trying to teach you truth, and so... There's another improper money mindset that kind of goes like this that says my money problems are due to the fact that I don't make enough money. Listen, if you are a single parent out there or you are just starting out or you're going through a difficult time in your company and 
You can't make enough money. This isn't a shot at you, I promise. Enough money. Let me just tell you that what I believe for the most part is it's, it's not that we haven't managed to make enough money. It's that we haven't managed enough of the money that we make. It's not that we haven't managed to make enough. It's that we don't manage enough what we've made. So then if those are kind of improper money mindsets and they're not all of them, then what would be the proper money mindset? And one of the first steps, as you know, in managing our money was covered last week when we talked about the major principles that we have to believe that, that really God owns it all, right? So then if God owns it all, that's kind of a mindset in itself, but we're going to see another step that's going to help us, and that is going to be found in the book of 1 Timothy. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn them to 1 Timothy chapter 6, you will be right where we're going to be this morning. This advice that I'm going to give you is far better than anything you're going to get from Wall Street, I promise you. And it's really got a money-back guarantee to it. It's really something quite amazing. Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and gives him some grateful money mindset principles. So I wonder, just out of the reading and honoring of God's Word, would you stand to your feet as we read from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, and then 17 through 19. I want you to hear from God's holy word. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain. When? Accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. But if we have food and covering with these things, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Father, I pray that you would take your word and do what you always do. Make us like Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here's the first part of a faithful money mindset. And here's the principle. Contentment. Contentment is the way to enjoy money's pleasures. Contentment is the way to enjoy money's pleasures. Paul gives us a reminder of what we really learned last week. You're going to see these principles just all over Scripture. But the biblical principle is that really God owns it all. In verse 7, he says this, We brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it either. We all know that really to be true, but we still struggle with it. It kind of reminds me of a story that I heard. There was this lady uh, who was married to this man, and this man was determined to take everything he had made with him. 
So he told his wife, he said, sweetheart, I want you to sell everything we have. I want you to get it in cash and I want you to put it in a sack and then I want you to hang the sack from the rafters in our attic. And then when I die, when I'm on my way to heaven, I'm gonna grab that sack as I go by. Later on he died and sure enough, the woman, she ran upstairs in the attic to see if the sack was still there. Well, it was there. And so she said, well, I really should have known I should have hung that sack in the basement. (laughs) Well, when we're born into this world, we can bring nothing with us. And when we die, beloved, no matter where we go, we can't take a thing with us. As we said last week, who, who really owns the money in your wallet, right? Who owns the paycheck that you really receive? Who is it that has the equity in your house? Who owns your mutual funds, your stocks, your investments? Listen, if you didn't bring it with you and you can't take it with you, then that means that you are just stewarding something that belongs to someone else. And I believe the word of God teaches that it belongs to God. So therefore, he's just giving it to you to manage for his purposes. So therefore, in verse 6, Paul tells us these words. He says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. The point is this. God doesn't let us own anything here. And the reason that we can't bring it with us or take it with us at death is because God doesn't want us to be consumed with money. He wants us to be consumed with himself. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, you can be rich in two ways. You can be rich in how much you have, or you can be rich in how little you want. The way to enjoy money's pleasures is to be content with what you already have. To be content with what you have, to be less content with what you really want. A faithful money mindset is one that is content with what one has so he can truly enjoy what he already has. Contentment is the way to enjoy money's pleasures. Philip Partham, he he tells the story of this rich industrialist who who is disturbed to find a fisherman. And this fisherman is sitting lazily beside his boat. And this rich industrialist says, why aren't you out there fishing? The fisherman says, well, I've caught enough fish for today. The rich man said, well, why don't you catch more fish than you need? Fisherman's like, well, then what would I do with them? The rich man's like, well, you can earn more money. And then you can buy a better boat and you can go out deeper and catch more fish. And then you can purchase nylon nets and catch more fish and make more money. Soon you can have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman said, well, Then what would I do? The rich man said, well, then you could sit down and enjoy life. The fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? Contentment. Contentment is the way to enjoy money's pleasures. Hebrews 13, 5 says these amazing words. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have. You see, in order to get the right mindset, you have to start with contentment because contentment is really the way to enjoy money's pleasures. But then secondly, caution is the way to evade money's problems. 
Caution is the way to avoid money's problem, evade money's problems. Paul realizes what he just said is gonna go in one ear and out the other. He knows that people aren't just, they just aren't gonna listen. So then he addresses those who are determined above everything else to have more and more money. So in verse nine, Paul says these words, if you'll look there. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. And you know people like this. Here's the thing that I've realized with people like this, they deny that they're like that. You, you try to tell them, hey, you're just out there, you're just one of those money people. No, no, I'm not a money dude. They're, they're the people that can just never rest. They always have to be thinking about ways to make money. That they can't ever relax. That they're constantly watching their stocks. They're, they're always got an app open. They're, they're just constantly just thinking about how to make more and more money. It consumes them. They can't stop and enjoy what they have because they're always thinking about what they can have. They always want the next thing, the next this, the, the next that, the bigger this, the better that. That phrase there, whoever wants to be rich, refers to those who are absolutely set on being rich. See, when you have this passion, when this is your obsession, Paul says there's a dire warning. And the warning is this, that if that is your desire to be rich, there is a, there is a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which can plunge you into ruin and destruction. I mean, think about it like this. You know about a snare. Maybe you, you've seen a snare. If you haven't seen a snare, I'd like you to look at the one that I have up here. It's not the best job at camouflage, I would say. But inside that little snare are some treats there. There's some carrots and some apples. And I don't know what they're trying to catch in this. Probably maybe a, a raccoon or a possum or a snake. I don't know what they're doing, but they've sent some stuff out there. But the way that a trap works is that the hunter or the trapper covers the snare or the trap with, with some brush or like here with some grass or some weeds. And then he uses some kind of bait to lure the animal into the trap. And here's what the incredible thing is. Just about the time that the animal thinks that he has a meal, the meal has the animal. And beloved, that's exactly the way money works. Just about the time you think you have money, money really has you. Just about the time you think you have money, money has you. And the desire for money only leaves you with a desire for more money. That desire for more rather than contentment for what you already has derives you to be less content and to desire more. And as that happens, your heart and my heart is open to all kinds of temptations. And even worse, Paul says, it can lead you away from God. Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it, listen to me, church, some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You've heard it said, but notice that money is not the problem, but love of it is. But can I tell you that we do a great job making sure that people know that money is not the problem, but the love of it is. But we stop there because the text says something more precise. The love of money is not the root of all evil. It is a root of all evil. So all evil doesn't come down to the love of money. Just got to be faithful to the text, church. 
That's an indefinite article A, not a definite article the. I checked it out. It's that way in the Greek too. The love of money is not the root, but it is a root of all evil. And when we're pursuing money, what begins to happen is people who pursue money usually don't show up at church a lot. Because you know what they're doing? They're out there enjoying all that their money's getting them. They're usually out there saying, well, I've got to work overtime or I've got to work extra. Now, if you have to do that, praise God, that's cool. But if you're doing that to pursue money, that's the problem. When we're pursuing money, we skip church. We, we enjoy the things that we buy. And, and then what Paul says is, is that we begin to figure out ways to lie about money. We begin to, to steal money. We, we begin to cheat the tax codes. We, we do things under the table so we don't have to pay money on it because we'd hate to lose money. We sacrifice time with our families. But you see, the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the wisdom literature books in the Bible says this in chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, one who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor one who loves abundance with its income. This too is futility. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look at them? You see, here's what I know. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you want to buy. The more you want to buy, the more you have to make. The more you have to make, the more you end up spending. The more you spend, the more you want, the more you have to make. And guess what? The merry-go-round just keeps going. It's interesting to me that there have been studies that, that have shown that, that in the past years, the past decades, we have more money and more access to more things than we've ever had in our entire life. But we're exactly the same when it comes to happiness. So if people think that getting more and buying more and having more leads to more happiness, we're just as unhappy as we were 30 years ago. This is why verse 10 ends in this way. Verse 10 says, I'll take you back there, for they've wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, you could say it this way, if you love money, you're inevitably going to steal from God. You won't give back what really belongs to God. You'll make it about yourself and, and just consuming a lot of things. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I want to preface this by letting you know that I want to be sensitive to where you're at. I realize that not everybody in this room is what we would call a tither, that they don't give 10% of their income. Can I tell you that that is a discipleship goal that we want to get you there? But there are many that, that, that hear messages like these and you're within that and you could very well be in a position to where you could tithe. And let me just help you with this and I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive. I, I know I want you to hear my heart. I'm trying to be gentle, but I want you to know the truth. Most of the time that people who can afford to tithe but don't is simply because they love money more than they love God. Because they love things or making sure that they're ahead in the game more than they really love God. And, and listen to me, the Bible says that we ought to use caution when it comes to that. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, verses 19 and 20, watch, those who work with their land and have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their feel of poverty. Can I just help you here? If you think by playing the lotto, you're gonna win a million dollars, you may. But the biblical principle here is, is that chasing a fantasy, guess what? It's going to leave you. It's going to leave you in poverty. A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one who is eager to get rich 
will not go unpunished. You see, it's the heart behind this thing. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. So contentment is the way to enjoy money's pleasures. If I'm not content, then I'm just going to keep chasing after more and more. Thus, caution then means I better pay attention to what's happening. If I want to be rich, I'm going to have two problems. Spiritually, it's going to cause me to really deny my faith. Personally, it's going to cause me a lot of heartache and sorrow. Now, let me be clear. Let me be very clear. The Bible is not prohibiting or even saying people shouldn't be rich. A lot of rich people in the Bible, and praise God, amen? I mean, hey, God bless people with money, amen? I mean, I praise God for that. But here's what God is saying that we shouldn't be about, that, that being rich shouldn't be the goal. It should be the byproduct of being faithful. So if God has blessed you, that's one thing. This is about the heart. It's really about if you're desirous to be rich. Now, some people are good stewards. They've invested wisely. Some have worked very hard, and God is blessed. Some people go to school, get bigger degrees to be able to make more money. Hey, that's awesome. I advise that. Go for that. But there are some people who just seem to never have enough. They're always thinking about it, always pursuing money. So let me tell you something. Here's what the Bible tells you. Be careful and use caution when you're there, and that's how you're going to evade money's problems. Here's the last thing I want to share with you today. And that is charity is the way to expand money's potential. Charity is the way to expand money's potential. So then if we've got a little bit of cash and we're blessed with it, what are we supposed to do with it? Well, thanks for asking because verse 17, now watch, listen to me. This is crazy. This is not me. This is what Paul is telling me to do to you. <laughs> All right, this is, I'm just trying to be faithful to the book. Amen. Verse 17 Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. You know it came quickly. It can go quickly. But on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now listen, before you go any further, I know some of you probably checked out and you're saying, dude, I'm not rich. <laughs> oh my goodness, do we have an Americanized version of our Bible? Did you know today that if you actually live in a home, you have a car, and any type of retirement of all, you are wealthier than 98% of the world? I mean, just think about that. Let that just, this is a Bible that applies to the entire world, right? Even right now, the poorest person in our church right now, the poorest person in our church living in the United States of America is in the top 10% of the richest people in the world. So before we say, well, I'm not rich, this doesn't apply to me, think biblical, don't think just cultural. You are very blessed. You're very blessed. So then if we're really all these richer people, what does Paul say to us? Well, verse 18, he says, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for ourselves treasures of a good foundation for the future so we may take hold of that which is life indeed. So follow this for a moment. When I am content with what I have, that's when I can truly enjoy money's pleasures. If I'm not content, I have to be cautious to evade money's problems. But the way to deal with it all is just to be charitable. 
If I really want to make more money, I ought to probably make it in a place where it actually matters, and that would be in heaven, right? So God's all about making money. It's just where you're going to make it and where you're going to make the potential at. The way to really expand my money's potential is not to invest in the stock market so much as it is to invest in the kingdom of God. Charity is the way to expand my money's potential. I can take the money that I work for and make it work for me in the kingdom. How do I do that? Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. When I invest in the kingdom and the work of God and the people of God and the gospel of God, that's when I'll know money's true potential. So if I'm content, I can be charitable. But if I am discontent, I can become conceited. Do you see this? Contentment is really key. I was talking to a man the other day, and this man was talking about how in his retirement he was busier than he's ever been before. As the conversation went on, he explained why he stayed so busy in his retirement. I'm paraphrasing his words. He said, I have to keep working because the more money I make, the more money I can give. There's a lot more work to be done for the kingdom of God, and I want to help pay for it. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing. The more this man gives away, the more he seems to get. This is the way the Lord works, but, but what I want you to know is that more than, than anything, that the more this man gives away, the more he's storing up blessings for himself in heaven. See, his money has heavenly potential, and the more he's giving, the more he really gets in heaven. This is crazy. My friends, he'll take all that that he gets in heaven, and Revelation tells us that we're just going to take all that we've got, and we're going to do what with it? We're going to give it right back to Jesus anyway. I mean, that's what we're going to do with it. This, my friends, is this proper money mindset, and, and one that understands that charity is the way to truly expand money's potential will be very content. Did you know that the only treasure that really matters is the one, is the treasure that we store somewhere else anyway? Jesus said in Matthew 6, you've heard this before, verse 19 and 20, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The treasure that Paul is talking about is right there. It's the treasure of good works. It's the treasure of me being generous, of me being just completely overwhelmed with sharing. This is really about whose kingdom we're trying to build and expand. So a proper money mindset means that I, I know contentment is the way that I can truly enjoy money's pleasures, and we should enjoy what God has given us. Caution is the way that I evade money's problems. Charity is the way I expand money's potential. And so, Jeremy, I wonder if you guys would come, because I want to land this plane, and by telling you something I found to be hilarious the other day, I, I read about this story about this father who gave his little girl $2. $2. He gave her individually two $1 bills, and he said to his little girl, he said, you can do anything you want with one of the dollars, but the other dollar, it belongs to God. Well, the joy of that little girl ran down to the street to the candy store, and on the way there, she tripped, and she fell, and the dollar fell out, one of the dollars fell out of her hand, and it went down into the storm drain. A little girl immediately said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. It's all too familiar, isn't it? After all the Lord provides, we try to spend all we have on what we want 
And then it seems we can have never, don't really have anything ready to get back to him. I want to try to maybe apply today's message by just asking some thoughtful questions. And maybe these are things for you to maybe press in on your heart a little bit. Am I content with money or am I just chasing it? At the end of the day, do I really have a greater desire to get more money or to give more money? Am I missing church or Bible studies or my kids' activities or time with my spouse all at the expense of just chasing after more money? These progressively get more and more specific, as you can see. I unashamedly have to tell you that I'm called a pastor, and I'm, I'm really called to help us keep in obedience to this book. So this next question comes not because me, it comes from this book, and that is this, are you tithing? It's not a guilt. It's just asking. That's how you can take the principles from what we've talked about and just really apply it, right? And then maybe, maybe this one, are you, have you even thought about or planned for how you're going to give to our Forward and Faith campaign? Because that would be a way to be rich in good works. That would be a way to be charitable, to be generous, to share, right? But you see, you may be here this morning, and I want you to know there's one more incredibly awesome money mindset that I do not want you to leave here with. What is really the value of your soul? See, the Bible says in Mark 8, verses 36 through 37, Jesus says these words. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what could a person give in exchange for his soul? Do you know today that your soul is so valuable to God that he sent his only begotten son to die for you? that Jesus Christ would willingly give his life, he would share his life, he would be generous with his life to purchase and to pay for your soul. You're saying, man, I don't really understand that. I don't really know what that means, but can I just remind you very quickly that, see, when you and I were born into this world, we were born with a sinful nature. And all of us like sheep have turned from the Lord and we've kind of gone our own way. The Bible says that we've all sinned. We've all did things that are contrary to what God would ask or say in his word. The Bible says that because of that, that the wages of sin is death. In other words, because we've turned from God and turned our own way, that that we're separated now from God. We're, We're separated spiritually. But we also, one day when we die, we'll be separated physically from God forever and ever. But the Bible says, man, that God so loved you. That God so demonstrated his love, he put it on display that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. John 3 tells me, man, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him How do we believe in him? I'll tell you that. But if we believe in him, we won't perish, but have everlasting life. So then how do we believe in him? And what's the answer? Well, it's what got us into this is what kind of gets us out. And that is, 
If we've turned to our sin, then we just turn away from it and turn to Jesus. If we've turned away from Jesus, we just turn back to God. So the Bible says, man, that if we just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means that I now say I want you to be the Lord of my life. I've been leading my life and being my Lord. Now I repent. I turn my, my mind and my heart to you, Jesus. And I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead to pay for my sin. If I do that, the Bible says that I could be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of my sin. Kim told you about that. It happened to her when she was seven, right? Well, see, I don't want you to miss that, man, this is really all about the reason God talks about money a lot is because he's after your heart. <laughs> and I wouldn't want you to miss the value of your soul. And that mindset about money is that there's nothing on this earth that can compare to heaven. I wouldn't want you to shortchange yourself and to get a lot of stuff here but miss everything there. So I wonder if you'd rise to your feet. We're going to pray. And myself and some others are going to be down here to talk to you in any way. If you need to receive the Lord, if you need to have forgiveness of your sin, if there's anything else in your life going on you'd like to pray about, this altar will be open, but we're going to sing now, right after I pray, Lord Jesus, would you move in a mighty way to remind us all that you're not after our money, but you've always just been after our heart. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you still bring dead people to life. And I pray, God, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice today that hasn't ever been brought from death to life, that today they would experience Jesus, and I pray it in his name, amen. Let's sing. Take my life.